Shana Tova. This past summer, I had an amazing adventure. It was intense. It was completely exciting. It was more fun than I had had in a long time. It was a little exotic, and there were unexpected surprises. I even made a few new friends. Yes, this summer I went to Talmud camp. <laughs> Along with my study partner, Cantor Marsha Addy. We can file that under hashtag what rabbis do. <laughs> Being there inspired my project for today. I'm here to make the argument that at a moment like this, in a world facing the challenges that it faces, that we are called upon to be Jews. Our world needs Jews who know our Jewish story. But first, let me tell you about this Torah I learned at this summer camp from one of my rabbis, Rabbi B'nai Lapi, which comes from Talmud Bavli Sanhedrin, somewhere around Daf Ayin Aleph, which is just a citation and a way for me to show off that I know things about Talmud. Let's recite the blessing for studying Torah together. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, asher kidshanu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. So I want to start by reminding everyone that in our tradition, we first have the Torah, those five books that we keep up in that gorgeous ark. All of Jewish tradition always refers back to the Torah. The Talmud is a huge record of rabbinic disputation about the Torah, both the written and oral tradition. In the Talmud, the rabbis are like the Jewish Supreme Court. They argue over interpretation and application of the Torah, our Jewish constitution. So today I want to take a look at a case in which the Talmud takes up what the Torah calls the Ben Sorer U Moreh, the rebellious son. Originally found in the book of Deuteronomy, these verses offer what we might call parenting advice, in which the parents of a rebellious and misbehaving child are commanded to take that child out to the town square and have that child stoned to death. <laughs> and of course, we just read the Akedah, that horrific moment when Abraham almost sacrifices his son. So on this morning, we are particularly aware that our tradition offers fantastic models of parenting. <laughs> well, it turns out that it's not just us moderns who are a bit horrified at the idea of executing children. In their struggle with Torah, the rabbis developed a strategy for avoiding this awful mandate of executing children while remaining faithful to their commitment to the tradition. One of the strategies they employed was to study the Torah text for possible loopholes that could in some way limit or prevent this particular mitzvah, this particular commandment, from ever being enforced. Their first move is to hyper-focus on the word ben, which means son. A ben is a son, not a daughter, they say, so only a male is eligible for such a punishment. Continuing to narrow the application and using some really incredible mental gymnastics, they define a ben as one who has started growing hair. 
and I don't mean hair on the head, but rather what the rabbis euphemistically refer to, and I'm not kidding, as a lower beard. (laughs) They sure have a way with words. However, because the word Ben usually refers to a child and not an adult, they rule that anyone who is fully grown is exempt. Furthermore, it is a general principle that katan patur shalobali chlal mitzvot, that those under 13 are exempt from any punishment like this. So everyone with me? The rabbis are reacting to this story in the Torah about stoning kids to death. Awful. And in their reading of this story, the rabbis have already limited the application to a boy who is over 13 but is not yet fully grown. Well, good news for our 13 and 14-year-old boys in the room. The rabbis were not satisfied with this either. Because the truth is, they really never want anyone to be executed. They continue to find more and more obscure and comical ways to create legal barriers to prevent something like this from ever happening. They claim that the actual sound of the mother and father's voice has to be identical for this to be carried out. They say that in order for one to qualify as a Ben rare, he has to be eating a steak and getting drunk on Italian wine. None of the cheap stuff. So this is not just the kid who is caught drinking, but this is the kid who finds that great Napa reserve you've hid away for a special night, or a really expensive and old bottle of scotch, and then orders out from Alexander's on your credit card when he's exactly 13 and a half years old. You can't make this stuff up. But what we can see is that the rabbis are creating a situation where even though they can't throw out this law from the Torah, they are committed to Torah, there will never be a reality in which it is enforced. And finally, after going through this three-ring circus of a legal theoretical exercise, the rabbis finally declare, lo hayava lo atid, this never happened and it will never happen. Then, the Talmud takes a turn. Rabbi Yonatan, who has been quiet, offers five simple words. Ani ra'itav, No, he says, I saw this, and I sat on his grave. Rabbi Yonatan, it turns out, was a priest, a Kohen. In Jewish tradition, a priest is forbidden from entering a cemetery or coming into any contact with the dead unless, and this is a big unless, this were an immediate relative, meaning in this case, Rabbi Yonatan's son. Ani shafti al kivro, Rabbi Yonatan did what Abraham was stopped from doing. I saw this happen, he said, and I sat on his grave. And so suddenly this story, which was becoming the playground of the absurd, takes a painful turn. Wait, Rabbi Yonatan says, we did this. I did this. I watched as this community executed my son. This is our story. This too, this painful memory, this horror, this is our Torah, and from this we must learn. When Cantor Addy and I learned this drash on this Talmud, we looked up at each other, and she burst into tears, saying, I can just picture this dad sitting on his son's grave going, What the hell did I just do? 
what just happened. What I came to see so clearly is that, at its very best, the tradition disrupts us. Torah, when we dig deep enough, is like Lyft or Uber for the economies of our moral sensibilities. This past June, like many of you, Fran and I woke up to phones full of text messages and alerts. There had been a devastating attack on an LGBT club in Orlando. As we thought about those 49 people who had been murdered for doing what we sometimes do, have fun, build community, find joy, be free, I felt empty and scared and furious. And of course, we hardly had caught our breaths and were still wiping away tears of sorrow when police officers killed two African-American men in separate instances, only to be followed by the assassination of five police officers. And all of this was on the heels of a gunman letting loose on Israelis having dinner in Tel Aviv and followed by a horrific attack in Nice, France. And I had to edit this sermon to add that we all watched as an officer shot dead an unarmed black man with his hands in the air. I'm not reminding you of these tragedies to depress you. They were terrible, and we live in a world where terrible things happen that confound us. So my question today is, who will we be when we encounter the awful, the unjust, the horrific, all of which we will surely continue to encounter both privately and publicly. And more importantly, how might we help shape a less violent and more loving and justice-filled future? Can Jews knowing Judaism make a difference? When the Jew weeps over the bodies of 49 people killed in a club in Orlando— well, having been confronted by the story of Rabbi Yonatan allowing his son to be executed, matter? Could our knowing our story help us build a world where that massacre might have been prevented? Over the past year, Rabbi Beth Singer and I have worked with our newly formed Tzedek Council in a process to help bring social justice closer to the center of our congregational life. It has been an exciting year with wonderful success stories. As a new rabbi getting to know this community, one of the best parts of the process for me has been the opportunity to talk with many of you about your ideas of Judaism and social justice. It's been great, and I've loved each of these conversations. I also noticed a theme. Many of you say things like, social justice is my Judaism. I don't go to services, I don't study Torah, I don't really think of myself as religious, but I do justice. I really understand this. Our world is so broken, it can sometimes be difficult, if not impossible, to get a glimpse of how prayer or study would ever make any difference at all. You want to do something for God's sakes. There is urgency my message is that who we are when we go and do matters. Torah, Judaism, prayer, our tradition has an agenda to shape who we are. When you raise your glass of wine on Shabbat and declare that Shabbat is Zecher Litziat Mitzrayim, 
a memorial to the exodus from slavery in Egypt. The invitation, the invitation is one of confrontation and disruption by the sacred memory of the very worst of human suffering. As you sing out for Shabbos joy, be a person who understands what it is to be enslaved. When we bow in awe and reverence for the Elenu, we are invited to confront a world drunk in its power and arrogance with holy humility, with a reverence for life and God's creation, and to take that awe and reverence out of this sanctuary and make it a way of life. When we read the story of Abraham almost sacrificing his son, Torah is there to disrupt us and wake us up. Be the angel, the Torah says. Be the voice that cries out from the weeping heavens in the face of violence that seems inevitable and stop it. Be an angel of God and cry out and say no. Do not put your hands on that child. As we witness the epidemic of police killing African Americans, know in your gut that we can pull ourselves back from the edge. Become a person who is not immune to or in denial of what is obviously and clearly broken. Instead, be vulnerable and centered enough to be shocked. Be open-hearted enough to scream out into what I know you imagine is an abyss and let your voice land on ears that so badly want to hear the call for justice. Know our Torah and be a Jew in the world. When we pray the Amidah and we declare in our Givurot that God is one who Matir Asurim frees captives, Torah invites us to imagine ourselves in cages, to imagine the horror of being captured. When we utter these words, we are able to be not only public citizens in action, but also Jews, Jews living out our Torah, Jews who join together to demand prison sentencing reform, like we can right now with Proposition 57, so that California is no longer a place where a 15-year-old can be tried as an adult with no due process by a judge. When we declare that God is one who Matir Asurim frees the captive, we declare that our prison system is an affront to our Jewish vision of justice. That's why we need to know about Rabbi Yonatan. That's why we have to sit and let our hearts break with him, to sit and be furious with him and at him. Torah disrupts us and makes us who the world desperately needs us to be. When we learn the story of Rabbi Yonatan, when we weave Torah, the good, the bad, and the ugly, into our souls and trap it into our minds, when we allow ourselves to be transported back in time to sit with an ancient rabbi on the grave of his son as the reality of what he has just permitted to happen sinks in, we become not just people, but Jewish actors in a world that is hungry for the hard-earned collective wisdom that is our story. Your story. If and when you allow Torah into your heart, it can change you. It can disrupt you. 
When the NRA tries to spread the lie that guns don't kill people, that we need the tools of murder to keep our children safe, you will remember Rabbi Yonatan as you will remember 49 dead people in Orlando. And in the face of their denial, in the face of their attempt to declare lo hayav lo atid, that such things never happen and will never happen, you will take them by the hand with our Torah in your heart and trembling but clear. You will sit with them on the graves of those dead gay bodies and you will cry. And God willing, they will also cry. And before you set out to change the world, you will wonder, like our ancestor Rabbi Yonatan did, what we have allowed to happen. And you will let the memories of those lovers, those dancers, those dreamers, those children, the memory of a rabbi's 13-year-old son, the hardest parts of our Torah, to be a central and unmoving part of the world we are building. This is what it is to never forget. When we offer blessing to God for the chance to learn God's Torah, we offer gratitude for the hope and obligation of being Jews in the world. We bless and we call up to the one who commands us to not slumber in the face of injustice, to the Holy One who brings down gems from heaven to place within our broken hearts. These stories of ancient ones who whisper to us from almost forgotten times. Remember our pain. Learn what we learned. Do better than we did. Do not build a world in which anyone will sit on the graves of God's children. To life and to Torah. Shana Tova Tikatevu.